The neurologist says to me, I said, Richard, if you don't change your lifestyle and stop working ridiculous hours, this will happen again. In that moment, he's telling me this and my wife, she's there and you know, she puts, she does this, right? She, she puts her head in her hands like, he'll never stop working, doctor. He's an animal. And I, I don't know why this number popped into my head. I just said, all right, look, I'm telling you both. I'm telling God. I'm telling everyone who will listen 25 hours a week for the rest of my life. Mm. Never, never a second more. And everyone stops. They both stop and look at me. And my wife in particular, because she knows how hard I've worked to build my company and my brand and everything that I do. And she goes, how are you going to do this? I said, I don't know, but I'm going to figure it out. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new edition of the None of Your Business podcast. Sean and Lacey here, joining you just as we do each and every week. And today, we're super excited because we are speaking to a person with whom we've already done an interview on right. their podcast. And now, after that, we were like, oh, well, we you have to get, you, get on. you on None of Your Business. Because, look, when you're being interviewed, you can pick up just some things about the individual and you begin to realize that this person really has a magnificent story to share and it is very impactful and it's timely and it also um, speaks to an area that I think almost everybody uh, would like to work on when we Including talk to us. people, right? We yeah. talk to people, this is one of the things that commonly they say. And so we have so much to explore and dive into. Um, this is going to be one of our easier podcasts because we don't have to work too much because he has so much to say. Dr. Richard Schuster, known as Dr. Richard, mm -hmm. he is a licensed clinical psychologist. Um, his podcast is The Daily Helping. That was the podcast that we had done with him. And there's so many other great individuals that he has on his podcast. And we're going to dive into even more of uh, what he what he does, what he stands for, what he has to offer the world. Dr. Richard, thank you so much for being with us. Absolutely, guys. You're super excited. I'm super excited. Let, let's rock and roll and add some value to everybody listening to this. Yeah, we're so happy to have you here. And like Sean said, you know, being on your podcast, we, you know, we got to tell our story. We had such a connection with you and love the feedback that you were giving there. We knew we had to have you on for our listeners. And I had done a little bit more research on you and, and realized, man, you have such an amazing story. And I really want you to share that because I know how pivotal that was and where you are right now today and how you ended up on our podcast at this very moment. So tell us a little bit about who Dr. Richard is and how you got here. So I will very quickly kind of tell you <laughs> what got me to Richard 2.0. So <laughs> very early on, I won a gov government contract with the DOD. I was like 23, 24 years old, had no business at all winning this thing and had these amazing delusions of grandeur. I would get on eBay and look up 
private islands that I was going to name Schusterland and I was going to buy and yachts and jets. And this was my destiny, right? And I was so excited for that, but very shallow, right? I was getting stuff for the sake of having stuff. And then I had this pivotal moment over 20 years ago in which I was in a car accident and I broke my spine and nearly died. So I, I, my whole TED talk is about this. So you guys can go listen to that. And if you really want to go in depth of how that changed my life and why, but that really put me on this path that I'm on today of helping other people. I think, uh, Lacey, what you're alluding to was kind of Dr. Richard 3.0, which is new for me. And frankly, I, I'm lucky to be here. Um, in that incident, it was June of 2020. So we're kind of, if you go back in time, this is like really early COVID, right? This is when we are still Lysoling our groceries and our kids. And at that time, I was killing it. You know, I was very happy with the business I had done. I just did that TED Talk, like I mentioned. My revenue quarter over quarter was better than it had ever been. Like in a pandemic, like I was doing exceptionally well. And I thought life was perfect. And one of these moments that kind of changes that for you can happen on a dime like my car accident. I woke up that a morning, it was the, it was June 30th, 2020, 2.30 in the morning. And I sit up and I didn't feel right. Something was very, very wrong with me. And instinctively, I grabbed the pillow out from under my wife's head with my left hand and I ripped it out from under her head. And she is a very genteel girl from Charleston, South Carolina, my wife, and does not like to have her sleep disrupted. I understand that. And so she sits up and she looks at me incredulously. And rather than say something's wrong, I need help. For whatever reason, the words that came out of my mouth were, I'm sorry. And she rolled her eyes and, and went back to bed as she should have. Uh, and I went back to bed, which in hindsight, and I'll tell you why in a moment, was about the most dangerous thing I could have done. And so what probably saved my life was our puppy, uh, who we were crate training and, and doing a very poor job at that. So 5.30 a.m., so now it's three hours later, and I am called to his barking, and I go downstairs, because it's my job to, my shift rather, to take him out, right? And so I go to the cage, and I, I'm a little off, a little unsteady, but I didn't really think anything was wrong. And so I see that the dog had made a colossal mess in his cage. That's a two-person job for sure. I kind of stumbled my way back up the stairs and I tell my wife what had happened and she sits up immediately like a flagpole at attention. She says, you're slurring your words. So I'm sitting here thinking, you know, this is how ignorant I am. And again, I'm a neuropsychologist, right? Like this is my background. And so I'm thinking, okay, like a little bit unsteady. She says, I'm slurring my words. Well, you know, I took some Benadryl that, that, night before right before I went to bed probably that no big deal so we get the dog to the front porch and latch him on the lead and I take my cell phone and I go because it's 5 30 in the morning and I can't see anything and I go to turn it on and get my flashlight and in that moment I realize I don't know how to use my phone at all no idea and then like the kid in the sixth sense everything hits me boom 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 unsteady Slurred speech, can't use, holy crap, I've had a stroke, right? And then the horror sets in for me in that I had a stroke three hours ago and my brain was bleeding this whole time. So now I, I'm in this mode of damage control, right? And so we grab the kids, we throw them in the car, we get to the hospital. And of course, my wife can't come with me, right? It's COVID, nobody can come with you. So 
I kind of stumble into this plastic makeshift tent at the front of this hospital and some woman in a hazmat suit comes up to me. She says, why do you need to be admitted to the hospital today? I said, I believe that I've had a stroke. And she asked me a couple of questions and I answered. And then they take me to the pre-admission area where they swab you for COVID because, you know, they got to make sure you don't have COVID. So I didn't have COVID. And so they let me into the ER. And while I was in there, they start asking me all these questions. And I tell the doctor that I believe I've had a stroke. Um, they give me a CAT scan. The CAT scan didn't show anything. And they're, the way strokes work is there's different kinds of strokes. I'm not going to bore you guys with neuroanatomy, but the particular kind of stroke I had doesn't always show up on a CT. So he said, great news, kid. You, you, call away, he called me a kid. I was probably older than him. But you didn't have a stroke. We're, we're sending you home. I said, what do you mean I didn't have a stroke? He's like, no, no, no. I, I don't believe you've had a stroke. And so in that moment, I heard my first supervisor's voice. He was a, when I had this IT sales job fresh out of school. And so he said to me, when you are in sales or you're making an ultimatum, you stare the person right in the eyes, lock on with them, right? And never say a word because whoever talks first is the one that is going to give in most of the time. And so I said to this guy, I said, listen to me very carefully. I said, I've had a stroke. You know damn well that an in, in ischemic stroke won't show in an MRI or a CT, but it might show in an MRI. I need blood thinners and you're going to give me that MRI and you're going to give me my blood thinners. And you're going to do it right now. The stare, right? The old West showdown, the tumbleweeds blowing, right? And you could feel the tension in the room because nobody speaks to physicians that way. And so he acquiesced, he rolled his eyes, and he gave me the MRI. And sure enough, it showed a stroke. Literally, I can't even show you guys with my hands how small this was. It was less than a millimeter off of part of my brain called the basal ganglia. So I apologize. I do have to go a little neuroanatomical on you guys. And so the basal ganglia, when you see people with Parkinson's, like really bad Parkinson's that have, you know, the shaky hands and their speech is really impaired. That's the part of the brain that's impacted by that. So less than a millimeter is the difference between me being here with you guys right now and me either being dead or worse uh, in a wheelchair drooling and a burden to my family, right? And so they admit me, they give me the blood thinners. By this point, because it had taken so long, my face had drooped all the way on the left side. Uh, my, my phone, the speech assistant couldn't even understand me. My speech was so bad. Uh, my, my motor skills were so poor that I couldn't even use my thumbs to text right. In my mind, I did, I did finally remember, oh yeah, thumbprint things on the right. So I could get into my phone, but I, even though I knew I wanted to type the word stroke to my family to let people know, I couldn't hit the letters. I couldn't hit the letters. It took me 40 minutes to type a three word text. And so I'm, I'm lying in this hospital, not knowing, right? Like is my podcast over? Is my ability to do anything over? Right? I had no idea initially. And so that first night was very scary. I, I was afraid to go to sleep. Um, they come and check on you every four or five hours, but they were very short staffed because of COVID. So with stroke, you know, a lot of people don't understand. It's not so much usually the stroke that kills you. It's these little aftershocks that kill you. Um, even sometimes with the blood thinners, if they don't get them to you fast enough, that's what happened to Luke Perry. Luke Perry wasn't the initial stroke that killed him. It was what happened after the fact. And so I remember that first night, it took me a while, but I was able to get into my photo gallery and I pull up this picture, my favorite picture of my wife and my kids and my dog. And I just stared at it 
all night long, just saying to myself over and over, stay alive, stay alive. And, you know, spoiler alert, I, I did, right? I'm here. But uh, it, it began this process of figuring out, like, how did this happen? And what happens next? Well, that was a good cliffhanger. And I feel like we should continue that story. <laughs> I know. But I want to go back to the car accident for a second. Because you're like, yeah, I was in this car accident. And I almost died and broke my back. But let me tell you about my stroke. Um so two times in your life, you've been in this situation where you're like, wow, right. like I've got my back against the wall and not just like, you know, maybe business wise or difficult situation, but life and death wise. Um, let's go back to that the first time and let's contrast that to the second time, because I mean, what a of great course, of course, the chiropractors have to go back to the back end. No. Right. It's like, <laughs> right. Well, I'm just kidding. I'm, but a broken kidding. back, but it's so, so in a broken back accident and anybody that visits your website, you can see the images um, of the car. And so one a lot of, the of things. overcoming of obstacles yeah. that you had to go through. Yeah. So you were younger at that time. Walk us yeah. through, not even really the accident. We, People just can go to uh, Dr. Dr. Richard Schuster, but Dr. Not don't type out Dr. Dr. Richard Schuster. Um, you can click on the About Me tab. You can see the vehicle. What I'm really interested in is that process in your mind, right? You're in this car accident, horrific accident. You're you're severely injured, and you have through your mind the same process. And we'll come back then, obviously, to to. Uh, Dr. Richard 3.0. Mm -hmm. But to get to Dr. Richard 2.0, walk us through that thought process. You were obviously younger and obviously yeah. a lot of the same thoughts. How do you overcome a situation like that? So historically, I don't like to be told I can't do things. And I think that's a common thread with entrepreneurs or rather I don't like to be told no, or that something that I want to do is not possible. And I remember very clearly when this doctor comes into the room with me and he puts up on the x-ray board gets out his little x-ray pencil and he circles my parts of my spine and he says this changes everything and he's telling me all these things that i'm probably not going to be able to do and or not be able to do without remarkable pain and you know all these limitations and i i remember just brashly looking at him and saying you know you don't know me but like I don't really respond well to being told I can't do stuff. And he was like, what? You know, and I said, I don't, you know, I wasn't trying to be a jerk, but, you know, no is, is a word that has never really made sense to me that I saw that that was an opportunity that I was going to fully heal. I was going to get better. Um, now my mindset is very different in a lot of things as is everybody's, you know, when they're 23, 24 years old. Right. But, um, I was determined that I was going to kick this thing in the ass. And, you know, so I, I became very, very focused on doing anything I could to overcome that, including looking at modalities of healing that I had previously dismissed as nonsensical, um, including acupuncture, which actually is the thing that made a, a remarkable difference for me. So for me, it, it was the belief that I was going to be, you know, the running back behind an, an unbeatable offensive line, and I was going to crush through through the goal line. And I know there's a lot of cliches in that, but that's really how I felt. Now, like Sean was saying, let's contrast that. Now here you are, fast forward, in this hospital bed, looking at this photo of your family and had suffered that stroke. And by the way, what a blessing that you had that knowledge 
mm-hmm. because I can't even imagine. I would have been dead. I, I, they would have oh. sent me home and I would have been dead. Yeah. I, just, I keep thinking that when you're telling your story, what a blessing that you had that knowledge and that you were able to get that out at that moment. But so now you're in this hospital bed and you had gone through this car crash and earlier on in your life. And now here you are. Were you replaying kind of that same motivation, that that desire to overcome, or was this a little bit different? So it was different in the sense that I am better armed today to deal with adversity than I was at the age of 23-ish because, one, it's what I do, right? Like it so happens, like I'm in this space and I speak to people, you know, on Zooms and on stages about things like this and overcoming the impossible. And so for me, when adversity hits and there, it's like losing a football game, right? Like you have a window where you allow yourself to kind of be in that space and then it's on to the next thing. And so that morning when I had survived, right? Like I made it through the night, I didn't die. And then it was like, okay, cue the Rocky montage thing because I was going to recover fully. And so I am an enormous proponent of visualization. Um, I have studied the science of visualization. It, I've incorporated into everything that I've done and I tr- credit a lot of that to my success. And in this instance, I would literally spend eight hours a day, eyes closed, seeing my brain as if it was an old school telephone switchboard with my my neurons rewiring and seeing myself back on stage fully healed better than I was before. Mm. Eight hours a day or more some days, every day. So two weeks from the stroke itself, my face had totally returned to normal. My speech had returned to normal. Uh, My hands worked again. So in about, it it took another week fully to get over some of the fatigue, but more or less the majority of my dysfunction resolved itself in two weeks. Well, I think one of the greatest things in getting through something like that and overcoming, and you use this analogy of a football game. So like in defeat, although you weren't really defeated, but in defeat or in these situations, it is very important that we learn, right? Because, you know, there are lessons that come in life. And if we don't learn the lesson, the lesson repeats. Mm-hmm. Until we learn it. And through this process of your recovery, what, what are the biggest lessons that you can share with people that you learned through this? Sure. It's a great question that I'm glad that you asked. But, and it actually kind of takes us to part two of the story. Because mm-hmm. when somebody my age, and, and I'm not young, but I am also not 70, right? And so at the time of my stroke, I was 46. So when a 46-year-old has a stroke and they start asking the lifestyle questions, right? Do you drink? No, I don't drink. Do you smoke or do drugs? No, I've never done either. Tell us about your exercise. I, I ride my stationary bike 60 hours, 60 hours, 60 minutes, <laughs> seven days a week. I eat only organic foods. I prepare myself. I have a meditu- meditation gratitude practice. I like everything that you're supposed to do right, I was doing right. And mm-hmm. so they're like, oh my God, so it's it's something, right? It could be cancer. We need to send him to this specialist. So they send me to an endocrinologist and an oncologist. And then 
the next ologist and every ologist, like they've sent <laughs> me to every specialist imaginable. And then I'm with my neurologist and my wife is there and we're ready to go over all the results. And he's got everything. And he's like, well, Richard, I've gone over everything thoroughly. And every single test result was negative. Okay. So that's kind of good in that, you know, it's not a terminal disease. It's not something chronic that's going to, you know, rear its ugly head again, probably. He goes, let me ask you a question. He said, how many hours a week do you work? <laughs> let me stop you right there, doc. I don't work. He says, what? He said, you win the lottery or something? Like, what do you mean? He's like, no, 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 no. I don't work because I love what I do. And that pissed him off so much. Mm. And he furrows his brow and he says, Richard, how many hours a week do you love what you do? <laughs> I said, oh, about 80. And he's like, okay. And, and to qualify the 80, yes. I mean, I started my day at 4.35 every morning. Um, and I would often stop at 11.30 or 12. I did. It's not like I was an absent parent. Like when the kids came home, it was all about them, right? But the second they were down in bed, like like smoke, you could see the smoke off my feet. I was right back to the office, right back on the computer. And so the neurologist says to me, I said, Richard, if you don't change your lifestyle and stop working ridiculous hours, this will happen again. And the mm. odds of it happening where it happened, I mean, like I said, like this close, I mean, even with my spine, right? Like, you know, a little bit higher and I might've been paralyzed, right? And so like, I've had two really, really close shots across the bow. And so, you know, in that moment, he's telling me this and my wife, she's there and you know, she puts, she does this, right? She, she puts her head in her hands, like, he'll never stop working, doctor. He's an animal. And I, I don't know why this number popped into my head. I just said, all right, look, I'm telling you both. I'm telling God, I'm telling everyone who will listen 25 hours a week for the rest of my life. Mm. Never, never a second more. And everyone stops. They both stop and look at me and my wife in particular, because she knows how hard I've worked to build my company and my brand and everything that I do. And she goes, how are you going to do this? I said, I don't know, but I'm going to figure it out. And so that began this journey. So the answer to your question, Sean, is you need to have balance in your life. And that has become an overused cliche, particularly because of COVID. Everybody's talking about you're working from home. There's no balance. So I be, had to create a set of systems that I have implemented and I teach people about to become extremely focused on my time, to become extremely efficient. And that has allowed me to live that balanced life. I shut the computer. This is it today, right? Like you're my last thing. So at latest, we're done at three o'clock and I'm done, right? And I don't work on Fridays anymore. Those are just for me and my wife. I know I, I uninstalled my business email off of my phone. So on mm. weekends, I don't even feel the itch to like to pick it up and say, you know, what's what's happening with my business. It doesn't matter. Like in those moments, it's about my family. But, you know, I've created things and, and I've used them and it was trial and error. But that is really what has transformed my life. And I have I have gone from 80 to 25 and my relationship with my wife is better. And not that it was terrible. But, you know, she was she was on board like she was on board with everything I was doing. 
But at the end of the day, you know, I didn't spend a lot of time with her. Even when I, we were doing things on weekend, like I remember there would be times where we we're, you know, kicking a soccer ball in the yard with my boys and like the ball would go flying by me because I'd hear a text and I'd be like, Oh, gotta see, you know, like gotta see what it is. That doesn't happen anymore. Right. So um, I have more time to do the things that I love to do, which I didn't even do before hobbies for me. So life has totally changed. And, um, I'm digging Dr. Richard 3.0. I'm hoping that there doesn't have to be a four necessarily. I'll take a 3.1 or a 3.15. Hoping we don't have to have any more, you know, brushes with uh, the afterlife or anything like that. So uh, really remarkable, really grateful, you know, how this is all kind of shaken up for me. Yeah, I think that this is great. And a lot of people probably need to hear those words um, because there's a lot of individuals out there, ourselves included, sometimes when we're launching new things or working (laughs) on new new businesses, it's really easy to dive into the work and neglect those parts of self that need that nurturing. So there might be people out there listening right now and saying, but Dr. Richard, like I'm starting a brand new business. Mm -hmm. I have to, they use those words, I have to work. 80 hours a week to get this thing going. So I imagine that they would say, I can't let go of stuff or stop doing things. Um, but maybe they're not as efficient with their time as what you're talking about. Maybe they don't know how to compress the things that they're doing into a shorter work week. So what are some tips you could give somebody that feels like they can't let go of anything, but they know they're working way too much? Well, I would say this. I, I, the first thing I would say even to, to preface that, Lacey, is that as, as entrepreneurs, and we're all guilty of this, right? There's two things that kind of play. If you're an entrepreneur, there's a high likelihood that you're into personal development, that you have a growth mindset. And part of that is this, we beat our chest, right? Like we can crush our goals and we can overcome any obstacle, which is awesome. The problem is we allow the crusade to get romanticized. So we might have amazingly valid reasons why we start a business, right? We're doing it to create a legacy for our kids, to provide stability for our families, to make the world a better place, whatever we're doing it. Like we're not doing it to destroy mankind, right? Like we're doing like people start a business usually for really good reasons to improve their lives. But oftentimes we use that as justification to work much harder than we should. So here's the things that I would say, to kind of help with your time. Yes, like not everybody has a pot of gold, right? That they can pull and say, okay, like I've got $2 million and I can, you know, whatever. And I can hire a full staff and do all these things. So I know that's not realistic because a lot of times your dream business is a side hustle that becomes your real business and allows you to quit your current job. So number one, be really clear on why you're starting your business. And if it's just to make money, money's good, right? Like there's nobody who comes on the show that doesn't love money in some way because what it, what it represents and what it can do for us. But your why is more meaningful. Or why are you doing this business? How is it helping people? If you answer those questions first, that kind of sets the table for what's next. And then what's next is really how you approach your tasks and your calendar. And let me tell you a little bit about what I mean. So the first thing that you need to do is figure out, because your time is very finite, right? So it's about relationships. So for me, I have a filter. 
And this is how my filter works to say that if you are going to get on my business calendar, three things have to be true. Number one, does the person who wants to have a meeting with me care more about helping people than helping others? Now, everybody's kind of filter can be different for me. Like that's a central tenant of everybody that I interact with and, and do business with. If that's true, then it moves on to the next thing is what I've built complementary to what the other person has built. Are they the proverbial chocolate to my peanut butter and can our offerings together be more impactful than they are by themselves? And the third and the most important one, and this is how you really can, can determine who gets on your schedule is that everybody has a number and you know what that number is. Now the number is different for everybody and the number changes over time, but the number is how much money do you want to make from this transaction? That is what would be a worthwhile transaction if you were to take your precious time and have a meeting with this person. So the person might hit number one for me, they might hit number two, but there's no path. And, and that number is, is for both of us. So I, my number three is, will both of us make X? So if they hit all three, awesome, then you're booked on my calendar. If, if you don't hit the third one, you might become my friend and maybe we'll go, go watch a movie or a ball game someday, right? But there's no universe where you get on my business calendar. So that's essential because right if, if all you do is that, then you're going to push your business forward. You're only going to align yourself with the right type of either business partner or prospect that will help you achieve your goals. And so because I used to be like a LinkedIn junkie, right? And anybody who would message me, oh, we've got a lot of people in common, let's have a meeting, right? I used to be one of those guys. And I would, and I met some pretty great people and I made some good business deals from that. But I would say 75% of those were an absolute waste of my time. And so mm -hmm. that's the first step. Do you, you guys have any thoughts or questions about that part of it? I love, that. I love that. And I tell people all the time when, it, when it comes to your time, you need to create stricter boundaries. Yeah. So many people allow other individuals to infiltrate their calendars, the time that they've allotted the things to press their agenda onto the other person and it becomes inefficient. So I love that what you're talking about is having stricter filters and tighter boundaries because that allows you to do better work. It's just, it does. Smart. <laughs> it does. Yeah. And not only that, Lacey, but I am fanatically obsessive about saving time everywhere I can. You know, a mm -hmm. great example is you walk into a grocery store, right? And you see a bag of three pounds of onions for $4 and one little half onion of like pre-chopped or pre-diced onions for like two seventy-five. dollars What's the uh -huh. better buy? The diced onions. Unless like chopping onions is your favorite thing in the world and you're a vegetable <laughs> prep fanatic, whatever saves you time because you have to figure out how much do you think you're worth an hour and mm -hmm. anything that you might do that's less than that is a waste of your time, totally mm -hmm. a waste of your time. And so the, you know, the other kind of, and, and I, I know we're short on time, so I want to really make, make this point is once you know how to get things on your calendar, the next piece of this is how to approach your tasks, right? You've got a schedule, how do you approach your tasks? And so there's something that I have developed that I use called the four Ds. And they're simply this, do, delegate, delay, or drop. 
and I'll, I'll go a little deeper into each one. So for me, if I'm going to do something, right, it's yes or no, it's go, no go. But my mindset is if it's not a hell yes, if it's not something that I'm like, yes, this is going to move my business forward. Yes, this is a key relationship. If I don't get that level of excitement about doing something, then I'm going to push it down to the next D, which is delegate, which is, is it important? But can I leverage somebody else's time? And, and to your point earlier, guys, you were talking about what if you're starting a business and you know, you're managing a couple of things. I would really encourage you to look at some of the resources out there in the VA space. I have hired people on Fiverr and Upwork in places like that for shockingly little money that do really, really good for not only one-offs, but for recurring things that you can use to leverage time. Again, remember every, every hour of your time that you get back, you can focus on scaling your business and doing meaningful things that will either help accelerate your business growth or get you out of the job you already have. So delegating is key. The next thing to do is think about how, how critical is this task overall, like in the scheme of things now, is this something that if I don't get it done either myself or through delegation pretty quickly, then it's going to really harm my opportunity for business growth or sales. You got to do it. But if it's not, you can delay it. So you could kick the can a little bit down the road. Now, do you kick the can? Is it something that you can kick the can, you know, a week, a month, whatever it is, like you kind of can organize your calendar. But again, it keeps your energy because time again is so precious. It keeps your focus right in the here and now on what do you need to be doing that will drive your business forward? What can you do now that will make tomorrow easier or less necessary? And then the final one is drop. If there's somebody who presents something to you and it's just, you know, like it's going to be a terrible meeting. It's not going to move your business forward. It's going to be a total waste of your time. Just don't do it. And you know, I, I've had people who reach out to me and, you know, I, I have, because I, I don't like to hurt people's feelings, right? Like none of us do, but I've become really, really adapted kind of honing this message of it's not you, it's me kind of a thing. Uh, and just say, you know, like, I'm really grateful that you reached out to me. Uh, right now I'm dedicated to helping my clients or whatever, whatever the, the language you want to use is. Uh, and it would be, you know, I wouldn't be being true to myself if I didn't give them 100% of my time and energy and I just don't have time for anything else on my plate. You know, feel free to reach out to, reach out to me in a quarter, half a year, next year, whatever. And you kick the this way, even if you don't really want to do anything with them, you know, you, you, you don't hurt their feelings and you still come across looking like a pretty decent guy who's committed to his, his business. And so, you know, we could talk about other things, but those that the four D's and the filter are really principally what I've used to take control of my life via my schedule and keep everything in balance. I would, uh, we just have a little bit of time left, but I, I, I want to shift gears slightly. I want to talk about this assessment that you have created. Um, a lot of our listeners work in the healthcare space. So the assessment is useful on a personal level for everybody who's listening. But this assessment can also be a great tool for a lot, for anyone that's working in the healthcare space. You can visit YourSuccessInsights.com to get more information about this. But tell us a little bit more about the assessment and, and what its utility is for our I, listeners. 
I appreciate that. You know, we never were in the consumer space really before this. In fact, I, I was given advice by JJ Virgin. She, she's been on my show a few times and, you know, we were talking about business and she's like, don't, you know, don't go into the consumer space if you don't have to, it's just so oh. difficult and there's challenges. And so I never was, but after I realized what caused a stroke and thought, I mean, I thought I had it all together, right? Uh, I didn't. And so like, my thought as I went to my team was, you know, if this could happen to me, what about the people who don't have a handle on their work-life balance? They have some, you know, challenging relationships. And so I said, all right, guys, we're going to create a tool and we're going to be the world's first empirically validated tool in work-life balance. And uh, what we do at our company is we create predictive algorithms that determine success. You know, we're, we're in healthcare with, you know, predicting trauma and first responders and uh, addiction recovery, the resiliency factors and you know, things for setbacks. And so with this particular assessment, it's done two things. We, we have found a way to help consumers and working moms and dads kind of bring balance and focus to their lives. So what it does, it looks at 21 dimensions scientifically associated with success in life and gives you this customized roadmap on how to do better. But what it's also done though, is created a really neat onboarding tool or value add for service-based professionals. Uh, you know, we've principally been working with coaches and therapists on this, but you know, if you're in the service space and you're helping people, it's something that we've been able to customize, you know, some of the messaging around it to, you know, let people sell this through to their patients or clients as, as a value add to say, hey, you know, we can, you know, you're here to fix X, but you know, why not address why? And and so it's been it's been neat because the feedback we've gotten from this is, you know, like my wife has been telling me this forever. I, you know, it, it's it's funny, right? Like I used to do couples therapy many, many, many years ago. And what I would do is I would videotape the couples. And at the end of it, I would ask the husband, well, how do you think she spoke to you? Oh, she's terrible. She was this. And, you know, how do you think you spoke to her? Well, I was a gentleman and I, you know, she was very rude. And the wife would usually say the same thing. And then I'd hit play on the video and their jaws would drop because they would see that they're both equally horrible. Right. So what's really cool about assessments is, you know, we, we're, we're defensive beings, right? When people criticize us, our shields go up and like we, you know, not everybody is really excited to get constructive criticism on their lives. But when it's a piece of paper or a PDF mm. that was based on an algorithm compared to thousands of people that generated a profile that you fall in, how do you get mad at a PDF, right? They were right. your <laughs> answers to the questions. And so for a lot of people, it, it's opened their eyes to, you know, needing to make some shifts. And we're That's proud great. of that. Well, the website is YourSuccessInsights.com. I want to encourage everybody to jump over there and check that out. Also, you can learn more about Dr. Richard Schuster at DrRichardSchuster.com. Um, I think that you will learn a lot about Dr. Richard and all of the value that he can bring into your life. I'm super excited about the assessment. Yep. Um, I'm, I hope that a lot of you that are listening will jump on that and explore ways that one for yourself, first and foremost, right? Heal thyself. But then number two, how you can leverage this assessment as a tool to help you to reach more people, make a bigger impact, like we always say, and then ultimately to create the lifestyle that you deserve. 
Um, it's been phenomenal having Dr. Richard with us today. Dr. Richard, thank you so much for being on the podcast. You've delivered tremendous value and hopefully tremendous impact for everybody who's listening. I love that. Can I, can I just say one, one thing before we go? Absolutely. Uh, for those of you listening, do me a favor. These guys are, are too humble to ask, but what Sean and Lacey are doing is awesome. Go to iTunes and give this show five stars and say Aww. some cool things about them because they're very awesome and that helps more people know just how awesome they are. I, I've had such a great time, uh, as much fun as we had on our show. I was ex I've been looking forward to this date on the calendar because you guys rock and I'm so grateful you had me. Well, we oh, so appreciate you. that. You are a true gem. And, Your story uh, truly touched me today, too. Thank you for sharing that. And it's going to give me some. That's what I was going to say to everybody yeah. listening. Look, um, sometimes like you listen to the story and you're like, man, that's so inspiring. Uh, and then you don't make your own change. right? right. You're, you you're still going to work 80 hours a week. Like, I'm glad that didn't happen to me. Um, this is one of those things because it truly is like a life and death thing that you really need to be conscious of this. You need to be uh, thinking about how you can bring that balance into your life. This is not one of those things where you want to wait. And, and, you know, and so many people talk about these, you know, the, the compounding effect of action, these little steps that you take. I mean, you eat a donut today, you don't gain 10, 10 pounds and you eat another one tomorrow and you're like, see, it didn't really do anything. And then you eat two. And then on the weekend you eat a box and then, but it takes a long time before you actually notice what's happening. Sometimes when you notice what's happening, it's 2.30 in the morning and you wake up and sometimes when you notice what's happening, and thankfully not in Dr. Richard's case, but sometimes when you notice what's happening, it's actually too late. Too late. Mm -hmm. So please, let's learn a lesson because if you don't learn a life lesson, it just invariably repeats itself. And Dr. Richard showed up today to help us to accelerate our own learning of that lesson so that we don't have to live that lesson. We can just take action and learn that today. That's all we have for today on this edition of the None of Your Business podcast. Thank you so much for watching, listening, sharing, liking, leaving us a all review, even all of the things. Thank you so much, Dr. Richard, for being with us. We'll be back again next week with a brand new edition of the None of Your Business podcast. Okay.